Good morning and happy Easter. Um, special welcome if you're visiting. My name is Brian Haybig and I serve as one of the pastors here. That was Jake Patton who was leading us in worship. And uh, so glad you're here and you know it's not like we don't talk about Jesus and the resurrection on other Sundays. We do and uh, we always will but we, we do celebrate with the church around the world give special focus to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that this morning. And uh, we've been studying in the book of Romans in the New Testament, and we're taking a break from that this week. We did last week for Palm Sunday, and I'm going to break from it this morning. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 1. This is Matthew's account of the resurrection. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can just follow there in the bulletin. This year... Uh, is the year of my 30th high school reunion. And uh, been thinking about this. I'm not sure if I'm going to be there or not. The problem is I haven't been to any of the prior ones, and it just kind of ups the pressure about everything because I don't have any mile markers about, like, you know, what has happened and, and uh, how, you know, how things have gone. And uh, but I was thinking about I was thinking about when I thought about going to my 10th reunion and didn't, uh, there's more nervousness now, and I started thinking about what, what is it? You know, can, can you put a name to it? And I think two of the things are, none of this is shocking, is, you know, uh, number one, how, how have they changed? And they can ask the same question about me, you know, uh, how, how have they changed? <laughs> but, uh, like, who, you know, who are, were the people who were friendly, are they still friendly, or have they changed? Or people who are not friendly, have they changed for the better or not? How have they changed? The other one, and you know, it's sort of embarrassing to say this, but I mean, you just can't help but wonder about this. How will they respond to me? I mean, for some of these folks, I really have not seen them since graduation ceremony, you know, like, so how will they respond to me? And I want you to think about this, uh, uh, an oft-quoted verse from the New Testament. It's from the book of Hebrews. It's really easy to remember is uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ is the same. And uh, I'm going to read this text, and I, I want you to be looking for a, a couple of things. I want you to, to notice how in the account of what Jesus is like after the resurrection, how he's the same. Now, I don't know if that, I, that may not just initially grab you, but the greatest before and after in all history is marked by the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the, the delineation of the greatest before and after in history. How, how do you see in the account of the resurrection that Jesus is the same resurrected as he was before, as you read about him in the Gospels? But I want you to look for something else, and it's, yet we have to kind of look a little closer to catch this, but... How does he respond to us? What does he think of us? How does he feel about us? Matthew 28, beginning in verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone. And sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. 
And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for what's going on around the world, not just around the United States, but all over the world. We thank you that on all Sundays, on the Lord's Day, that men and women and children gather in the name of Jesus and they sing about Him and hear from Him and meditate on Him and remind one another of Him and eat His flesh and drink His blood. And we do so this morning, but we pray that You would open our hearts to You. If they're closed, open our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Years ago, I read a novel... Um, it's set in Mississippi, where I'm from, and it's by a writer named Lewis Norden. It's called Wolf Whistle. You know what a wolf whistle is? And um, it's loosely based on a murder that took place in Mississippi in the 50s. So the setting of this novel is Mississippi in the 50s. And uh, th- there was one little scene, and I, it, it, it was a laugh-out-loud little scene for me. And I don't know if it'll, it'll hit you or not, but it goes like this. Um, you've got this murder trial, so this takes place outside of a courtroom... And the scene is you've got all these people waiting outside the courtroom and you've got this daddy and this inquisitive little boy and he's just firing questions at his dad. So uh, Norden writes, Outside on the courthouse steps, a child asked his daddy, How come they let Mr. Runt bring his parrot to the courthouse? Which if you want Southern literature, that's it. Just someone, someone walking in a courthouse with a parrot. That's just weird enough to be Southern literature right there. How come they let Mr. Runt bring his parrot to the courthouse? His daddy said... You're delving into some areas where I ain't got much expertise, pumpkin. The child said, how can it be 100% humidity and it don't be raining? His daddy said, well, the child said, who would win in a fight between Jesus Christ and Superman? His daddy, I've got to edit this part. His daddy said, Jesus Christ would kick Superman's blank. And don't you forget it, partner. (laughs) Now, I... I'm not quite sure why that scene popped in my mind uh, working, on this, working on this passage, but I think that... In fact, let's close in prayer. But I, I, I think that to me that feels like Southern Christianity in some different ways. Uh, I like the father-son. I like this, this daddy being sweet to his son. But, but it's, it's Jesus as kind of this invisible superhero, and, and we do talk about him that way, you know. 
Like we, we talk about, you know, well, I just knew Jesus was in the car with me. Which is strange because we celebrate that he's still a physical being, that he still has a body, physicality. But we're talking about him being in the car with us and there is no other body in the car. Like what, what do we mean by these things? And I want to look at this passage uh, again. To, to most of you, you've heard this before, but I want to look at it again. This is the first account of the resurrection that you read in our New Testament. And, and I want to see it as an expansion on what I said before, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've got three points, shocker, in my sermon. And um, they're not hard to follow. They'll all start with Jesus Christ is still something. And here's the first one. Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, is still human. Jesus Christ is still and I don't mean human-like. I mean embodied as a human being, spatial, occupying space and time. Now, how do you see that? I want you to look first at this angel. Um, angels, they're all through the Bible, but they tend to kind of cluster in important times in the history of redemption. And there's a lot of them in the Gospels. And what's interesting is that as far as like who looks the most impressive in this account of the resurrection, it's not Jesus. The one who looks the most impressive is who? It's the angel, the angel of the Lord. And that phrase is at the beginning of Matthew. So this is probably the same angel who came and announced that the Messiah would be born. We don't know, but it sure sounds that way. When, when you look in the Old Testament about when angels come and, and say something to you, they're messengers. Angels are spirits who are messengers. They're visible, but they're spirits. They're messengers from God, and they're messengers about God. Now, when this superimposing figure comes, how is he described? Look in verse 2. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. Now, if you've ever seen lightning, that should grab you. I, I once, when I was driving, um, actually, in Mississippi, in the Delta, I, I was just going past, a, a, the Delta is as flat as a pool table. I was going past a plowed field, and I saw lightning hit the dirt and sparks fly. I saw the blue edges of the lightning. This angel looked like lightning, and his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled. And became like dead men. And by the way, I always think about what C.S. Lewis said about angels. He said that uh, every time an angel shows up in the Bible and it talks to someone, what's the first thing it has to say? It says it in the next verse. Don't be afraid. He said most of the angels in our art look like the first thing they would say is, they're there. <laughs> this is a biblical angel. This is not a they're there angel. Uh, what does he talk about? He's a messenger from God. He's a messenger that talks about God. What does he say? Verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about a man who was killed. Well, how else do you see Jesus' humanity? Look in verse 9. Behold, Jesus met them, these women, and said, Greetings. And they came up and they took hold of his feet 
and they worshipped him. It's real easy to, to fly past that and not give it its due. That when these disciples saw Jesus, the risen Christ, they fell before him and they grabbed his feet, his physical feet. And that resonates with the other gospel accounts of the resurrection. I mean, for instance, in the gospel of Luke, fish is cooked, fish is broiled, and a portion is given to Jesus after he's risen from the dead and he eats it. Physicality. In the Gospel of John, when Mary Magdalene sees Jesus risen from the dead, she thinks that what he's uh, an angelic figure, he looks like lightning. She thinks he's a gardener. So human, so normal in his appearance as a human being. Now, wh- why is it so important to harp on that? I've got a friend, and uh, he's not what I would call a wine connoisseur, but he, he, he's just become more fascinated with the whole wine thing, how it's made, where, where it comes from, these different qualities it has. And he says that for him, one of his favorite things about wine is when you open a bottle of wine that's made in another country and you smell it. Because he said, the air you're breathing is from another country. I never thought about that. Like if you open a French wine, that first whiff is French air, or it's from Argentina, or it's from Germany. It, strictly speaking, that air shouldn't be in your kitchen, but it is because of this special thing that happened. And I, I would say, especially if you grew up in the church and you've been around this stuff and you're used to Easter and you're used to talking about the resurrection... Here's something that you can lose sight of. What is a human body doing at the right hand of God the Father? There's only one. There are no other human bodies in heaven right now. It's going to be full of them one day. But right now, there are angels, and there are the living creatures, whatever those are, in Revelation, and there are the souls of God's people who have fallen asleep. But there's only one, if I may put it this way, body of dust from the earth at the right hand of God the Father. What is it doing there? It's there because of the resurrection. And there are a million applications about that the New Testament draws from that. Let, let me say one. The Apostle Paul says... In 1 Corinthians, if you ever want to read a great reflection on, hey, why is the resurrection such a big deal, read 1 Corinthians 15. There will be 8 billion sermons from 1 Corinthians 15 this morning because it's a massive meditation on the resurrection. Here's one thing Paul says. That body at God's right hand, that human, real physical body, is a first fruit That's an Old Testament term. What was the first fruit? The first fruit was when you lived in an agricultural society and you got your first cluster of grapes or this first bushel of olives or this first bushel of wheat and it was sort of like that is your faithful God's down payment that all the other wheat is going to come. All the other olives are going to... You can trust Him for all the rest of the harvest because there's the very first one. The glorified body human body of Jesus at the Father's right hand, where, the psalmist says, all the pleasure is found. 
pleasures are found at God's right hand. That body is the down payment that one day for His people, for whom He died, we will be their soul and body with Him, with glorified bodies. Paul says in that same chapter, one day the mortal puts on immortality. The good news of what Jesus Christ does, not only in His death but in His resurrection, is not just that He takes care of our sins, which He does, praise the Lord, but it's the good news that we will not always be tired. We will not always deteriorate. We will not always be sad. We will not always get sick. We will not always get cancer. We will not die. Because the first fruit is the proof that God cares about our humanity, even our bodies. The first fruit's at His right hand. Real man. Second thing is this. Jesus is still God. You probably saw that one coming. All right? Jesus is still God. Um, again, what, what do angels talk about? Angels talk about God. They bring messages from God. They may bring messages about God. What's the message? Verses 5 and 6. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He has risen. As He said, come see the place where He lay. What is this angel that terrified Roman soldiers, what is he preoccupied with? The resurrection of Jesus. Who is he preoccupied with? He is preoccupied with a man. What else? Look in verse 9. It says, Behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and they took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. And look down below that in the italics. This is just a few verses later, same chapter. So the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now, if you want proof of his humanity, when some people saw the risen Christ, he was so human in his appearance, they even at that point doubted that he, that he could be divine. But why is it so important that people worshipped him, that, that these women took hold of his feet and they worshipped him, that disciples saw him and they bowed down and they worshipped him. It's become kind of a commonplace aspect of New Testament scholarship, and this has been for the last 200 years or so, at least around here, that um, claims of Jesus being God, claims of Jesus' deity, you really just find those in the Gospel of John. You don't find those in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke which are called the synoptics. It's in the Gospel of John that you hear Jesus saying things like, I am, I am this and I am that. He's using the, the divine name. And the claim goes that in the synoptics, he's presented differently. He's not presented as somebody who believes that he's God. The problem with that is that all through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus does things that no devout, Je- that no devout Jewish man would ever do. He'll forgive sins. That may not seem like a big deal to us. If you, heard, if, if you could have watched Jesus and seen him come up to somebody and say, hey, your sins are forgiven, we think, yeah, he does that. He's Jesus. That is not what his peers thought. 
That's not what the local clergy thought. Well, how did they respond? Nobody can do that but God alone. He did, he did things like that constantly. But here's the one I want you to think about. Both before his death and after his resurrection, people will come up to him and they will worship him and he will not stop them. No devout Jewish man would ever do that unless he believed he was God. All of the scriptures resonate with this. That the man that you see, not only crucified, but risen from the dead, is not God-like. It's not that he's divine in his aspirations and he's the most godly human being who ever walked the face of the earth. That's not how he's presented in Scripture. He is presented as one who became fully man, but was already fully what? Fully God. Second person of the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now again, a million applications of that, but I want you to think about one. The last verse of Matthew is the risen Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says, he gives them this commission to go make disciples of his all over the world. Leave Judea, go all over the world, and they did. But the last verse of Matthew is, he says this, Behold, I'm with you always. To the end of the age. I was at a Bible study at a church not far from here, and um, it's mostly a women's Bible study and, and, and me. And um, the, the pastor asked somebody to open in prayer, and so he asked an older lady to open in prayer, an, an older African-American lady. I'd never heard anybody pray this, and I just, I just cannot shake it. Um, I'm going to give this as close as I can recall it. She said, Jesus, we know you are so busy and you're doing so much, but would you please just come by this room for a little bit and bless us with yourself? That got me. Uh, Every once in a while, you know, like, when you get used to these theological claims, they'll hit you in another way and you feel them. Like I've told the story about one night I was reading, this is when my oldest son Henry was little and I was reading to him and, uh, and we were talking about, hey, God is everywhere. God, the God in the Bible that we learned about, our God is everywhere. And, you know, inquisitive little boy, he said, is he in the closet? And so I'm sitting on the bed with Henry and I kind of looked over and went, Yes. And he said, is he on the bed with us? And I found myself saying, yes. And I kind of the feeling of, holy cow. <laughs> he, is, he is with us. You know, he is here with us. The fact that the risen Christ is God. He's God. You can worship him as one who is fully God means and this is a mystery, that physically he is at the right hand of God the Father. He's not physically in the room with us. But he is, by his Spirit, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. By his Spirit, because he's God, he's actually with us. Like, when we commune, 
we don't just commune with each other, although we do that. We love each other and we eat together. And we need Him together, but we commune with Him. He is with us here. Because He's God. But the last thing is this. Um, Jesus is still human. Jesus is still God. I really want you to hear this one. Jesus is still for failures. Jesus is still for failures. How do you see that in the passage? Verse 7, last thing that the angel says to the women, and really says it in the sense of, okay, make sure you remember this. He says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And then look down at verse 10. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And it sounds like they're talking about some prearrangement. And they are. Look down at that bottom passage in italics. This is about a chapter and a half before. Before Jesus is arrested, before he's crucified, he's talking to the apostles. He said, Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. What is the context of that passage? Jesus, who has just absolutely poured his very self into this group of men for three years, says to them, you're all going to leave me. And we usually throw Peter under the bus as the great denier, but the accounts say that all of the apostles said, no, we won't. There is no way that we'll leave you. And they all scattered. But before he even told them that would happen, before that even happened, the very thing he prophesied, he said, look, but, after you, after you leave me, when I'm raised, meet me in Galilee. Okay. Does Jesus love his people leaving him? No. It's wicked. But here's the question. Does Jesus love people who follow him and yet will abandon him? Does he love them? Even in thinking of that question myself this week, I felt like there was exploratory surgery being done inside of me of do you really believe this good news is this good? Does Jesus love people who leave him? Yes. Does Jesus love followers who yelled at their family this morning? Yes. Does He want us to do that? No. Does He love people who do? Yes. Does Jesus love sinners? Is Jesus for sinners who will give unlimited time to Instagram 
and cannot fit a Bible verse into the week? Does he love them and is he for them? Yes. To the people who abandoned him, he said, the plan that's already going to be locked in place is that when I'm risen from the dead, I want you to meet me and I want to see you. Did you know that Jesus loves bad people? Jesus loves bad people. Jesus loves people who may have known Him and believed him in Him for decades and should be so much further along in their life and obedience and change and are still, di- still doing the same stupid crud that they've been doing all along. He loves them and is for them and is still saying, turn to me. Turn to me and come to me. I'm for you. I'll end with this. I, uh, a friend of mine told me about something that happened to him on a flight a few years ago. Um, he was waiting at the gate for his flight, and he saw a young woman with a, with a baby. And it was just one of these deals where um, her sadness was palpable. I mean, she just looked so sad. And he wanted to go over and talk to her. And then um, they started boarding. And so she got up, and she was ahead of him, and so she boarded before him, so he's, he, and he was way back in line. So he, he, uh, he prayed and said, Lord, I really want to talk to that woman. But you will, and they had already announced it was a full flight. You will have to seat me beside her for me to talk to her. So he's, uh, you know, he's toward the back of the line. He gets on there, and the place is just packed out. The flight's packed out. And there's this one empty seat in the back. And guess who it's next to? So he sits down, and he turns to this woman. He kind of gets his seat belt on and everything and says, Hey, let me go ahead and introduce myself. My name is so-and-so. And uh, I saw you at the gate. And he said to her what I just said to you. You looked so sad that I asked God, Lord, please let me sit next to that woman so I can talk to her. And, and here I am. So why don't you just go ahead and tell me what's going on? <laughs> like, dang. <laughs> and she had followed a guy out west, and she had a baby by him, and he never committed to her in marriage, and he left her. And she was going back home to her family with whom she had been estranged, and they had understandably had not been supportive and it wasn't a good situation to go back to but there was nowhere else to go. So she lost the man and his tension with the family and she's got this baby and she just poured her heart out. What, what, what do you learn from that story? You know, what you learn from that story depends on your presuppositions. If, you, if you're a naturalist, if there is no supernatural, you could say, look, there are millions of flights every day. Weird things like that are going to happen. Don't derive any conclusions from it. Okay? From the vantage point that the Scriptures are true, that there is such a thing as the supernatural, that there is this God who is personal, not a deist God, but a God personally involved with His creation, 
What do you learn from that? Well, I mean, several things. Look around at your neighbor and see what's going on around you. Learn that. God does use prayer. Very specific prayer, very specific answer. But the thing that struck me from that story is, why is a follower of Jesus saying, please let me talk to that woman. She looks so sad. And the Lord places him beside her. Does it always work that way? No. But why did it happen that way? Because he loves her. And did the conversation fix everything in her life? No. It's a big old fallen world. But she got a compassionate ear that day. Why? Because Jesus is real. Because He's risen from the dead. Because He is God Himself and He loves sinners and is for them. Have you believed in Jesus? I don't mean just sort of a cognitive assent that there was this man and He existed and He was crucified. Do you believe that He is not only man, but God Himself, the one who can save you, not only from the justice of God that we deserve, but even save you from yourself? Do you believe Him? Because here's the thing. We can't manipulate you into doing that. But you could believe today. If you cried out to Him, this one who is for failures, are you a failure? If you're a failure, you're a beautiful candidate to be a Christian. If you're a failure, you're Jesus' favorite people. To cry out to Him and say, I, I don't even completely understand what it means for you to save me. Would you save me? Would you clean me? Would you redeem me and renew me, body and soul? That's what He came to do. That's what He said before His death. That's what He accomplished in His death. That's what is locked in by His resurrection. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Risen Lord Jesus, we praise You that You are Son of God and Son of Man, that there are real hands and real feet nail prints still in that body, though glorified beside your Father and ours. And we pray, Lord God, that, that for anyone here who has not yet entrusted their lives, entrusted their hearts, entrusted their body to you, that you would work in their life, enable them to believe, turn to you, receive the good news. Lord, for those who have known you for years, but when they fail, keep drinking deeply of shame, trying to cleanse themselves, would you enable us to turn back to you, you who love sinners? And we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.